Live and in color from the NBC News Radio Broadcasting Studios of KCAA, 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM, located in beautiful Southern California and in parallel from the Turfs Up Radio Studio in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Thanks for tuning in to the Water Zone Show this evening. Well, a pleasant good evening to everybody. This is, this is the Water Zone. I'm your host, Rob Starr, along with my magnificent co-host, Mr. Chris Davey. How are you doing, Chris? Hey, um, right back at you, Rob. Magnificent to you, too, as well. Just celebrating the last day of September here, October 1st uh, tomorrow, and some cooler weather on tap. However, you would not know that here in Southern California, where today the high temperature in the city I live in was 96 degrees. Uh, that's what we had here today, 96, 97. I did hear the news that it, the, in Flagstaff it was like uh, 37 degrees and there was snow in the eastern part of Arizona. So, um, And they had uh, hail in, in Mesa, Arizona. So it was pretty interesting. That's so a yesterday, fact. Uh, that's a fact. I've got a uh, friend of mine up in the Eastern Sierra, Mammoth Lakes, Virginia Lakes area, <clears throat> sent a photo to uh, our group of friends with snow on the picnic tables in the campground. Wow, wow. Well, yesterday I was out with uh, the Wyland Foundation. They had a winner of the National Mayor's Challenge for Water Conservation, and uh, City of Tucson won, which was really nice. So we were there with uh, NBC News TV and ABC. And um, uh, Toyota then presented them uh, their charity of choice um, with a uh, $50,000 uh, hybrid SUV. And it's a uh, charity that takes care of uh, uh, separated families and, 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 you know, things like that. So it was, it was a great, uh, great event and another good feather for, for Wyland's team for putting that all together. And uh, I got to send uh, photos and I'm supposed to get some film from NBC News uh, to show the whole thing. So. It was a really good day, and it made a lot of people happy and uh, did, did a worthy worthy cause. You know, when we first started this with Wyland, they would give an individual to uh, uh, a car to an individual. And then we thought about it, and, and we said, you know, all these cities are helping to participate in, in saving water. We ought to, whoever wins, they get a choice to send to us, uh, uh, nominate different charities that they'd like to see this vehicle go to. So that's what we started doing. It was, it was a great uh, great thing to do. It's so. a great event. Uh, I saw the pictures, Rob, and uh, you know the pre-release stuff. As I am, uh, as I am privileged to be able to, to see prior to their release, awesome photographs of you and the and the crew there, and the Wylam Foundation crew, and uh, and the city. It was it was great to see. Great photographs. Whoever the photographer was, it was one of somebody from the city. They did a great job. Yeah. So let's bring in our our favorite lady who's the uh, purveyor of Maven's Notebook, Miss Chris Austin, who's soon to be inducted into the Green Industry Hall of Fame, joining you and me and Mike Barron and others that we know in the industry. So, again, congratulations to you, Chris. We're looking excited. We're looking forward to uh, getting that event in November, and uh, we can't wait to see you in person. I know you moved a little further north, but uh, come on down and, and come to this event because um, you've earned it through your career. Of course, of course I'll be there. And, you know, while I'm not living in Southern California anymore, I'll still be traveling there plenty. So no worries there. Uh, yes, I, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Uh, be the first Good. in-person event I've been in in a long, long time. 
Yeah, you know, you were saying up how hot it was down there, uh, uh, Chris. It yeah. was just up here in, in Chico, quite lovely today. I think it got up to 85 with a nice. pleasant breeze and, and beautiful air quality. The fires aren't affecting us. They're much further away. So it, it's quite lovely. Yeah, very nice. So. That's well, great. anyway, as nice, as nice speaking as it of, they're still suffering under a drought, and uh, and there's some there's some news on the drought front today, Chris. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah, <laughs> and and none of it good, really. Uh, you know, uh, it shouldn't be surprising that uh, things for next year, forecasts for next year, kind of all around, don't seem to be thinking that. We're going to get a lot of precipitation here in the West, in California, and really on the Colorado River as well. It's just looking, it's just going to look like another dry year. They actually, they seem to feel that uh, next year is going to look a lot like last year. So, uh, so I don't think we should be, uh, it, you know, counting on any large amounts of precipitation showing up. Um, they, they've done some estimates, you know, part of the problem when it's been dry and it's been dry for a long time is the soil dries out, um, and it dries, I mean, it goes deep, it dries a lot of that out. So when it rains, one of the first things that happens when the rain hits the soil is it tends to go into the soil because the soil is very, very thirsty. And... So, you know, if if we wanted to get to an average amount of runoff, what they're estimating is that it, it's going to take 140% of our average precipitation falling on the land to get that number to, to like, kind of show up in the streams and the rivers because the soil is so dry. And the other thing that really impacted us last year were the higher temperatures. And again, there's no one, no suggestion that you know anyone is giving that higher temperatures are going to you know it's going to cool down anytime soon. Uh, you know the projections, things just keep, seem to be getting hotter and hotter. And as that temperature goes up, so does the water use, the water demand for the vegetation, just the natural vegetation in the environment, and your your grass needs more, the the fields and the you know the crops in the field need more water. I mean the uh, the higher temperatures really affect so many things and and really affect water demand. So you know I I don't know I I've got to say I'm not comfortable with how it's looking because our reservoirs are in, you know, they've just, well, Oroville's never been lower. Lake Oroville, that's the main reservoir on the state water project, uh, supplying, you know, a large number of Californians with a portion of their water supply. And it, they had to shut down the power plant for the first time because uh, the water level got so low. And in Lake Shasta, uh, it's almost down to as low as it was when 
you know, they first started filling it. In other words, it's also at a historic low. Um, so we're headed into a what could be is likely to be a dry winter season with just the the worst res- reservoir carryover storage we've ever had. Uh, it's kind of like if you you lived your life and you, you know you didn't know if you were going to have work, but you spend all your savings. <laughs> so it's it's uh, it's not going to be an easy year next year if predictions hold true. Well, let me pose I'll this question with... to you. Let me pose this huh? question to you then, Chris, because a lot of people that we talk to on the show, a lot of people that we talk to at events and just you know on telephone calls and things like that as we set up for the show have said that this this drought, the on the onset of this drought was quickly it came very fast right it was that it was fast um as opposed to the last drought we had which was in the mid-teens you know 2014 15 16 17 which by the way is is the reason for the water zone show starting in the first place with with rob and mike Barron. but um that that small little factoid aside uh many many people have have commented on the fact that the state of california just reported water savings efforts so far this year in the 2020 uh season where we've been asked to save 15 percent uh, of our water well that saving that those efforts have just been atrocious in fact the water use in la county has gone up not not down and in the state it's only it has gone down but only by one tenth of one percent uh, are you hearing the thing oh yeah i mean it it's it's um you know it's yeah, it's not good, but you know, and I do think there's some there's some reasons for that. What the highest rates of, converse, of conservation are occurring in the areas where the drought is the worst. Um, you know, the Russian River. Although I, I have to say, you know, numbers don't show they're doing great. Although there's one community up there in the North Bay, Healdsburg, that is really has done a great job, but they what they've done is they've put uh, uh, tanks in people's yards and they come by and fill them up with recycled water uh, so that they can water their lawns, <laughs> use use this water for non-potable purposes. So I mean they've really tried some things and they're doing great. Uh, the, I think in um, down here in Southern California. There really was just uh, not not much of an effort in the beginning to get people on board. Uh, people in Northern California were, you know, very concerned. They're looking at empty reservoirs, and down here we weren't even talking about it. Uh, we really didn't start talking about uh, conservation seriously until they declared the shortage on the Colorado River, which is another major uh source of water for southern california um and now they're they're trying to they're trying to push things uh san diego didn't do so well with water conservation either and there was a commentary uh out a couple days ago that sort of suggested that you know when your board of directors say you have enough water to 20, that will last to 2045 uh, you know, then your your residents aren't going to go about saving their water because why should we, right? I mean, you just said we had 
water for the next 25 years, <laughs> which is an amazing thing that to say in one in one point. But you know, uh, Southern California, uh, we have managers that do a great job, and uh, we had lots of water and storage, and so sort of rolling into this drought. I think, again, uh, people weren't too concerned. Uh, and we really do all need to be concerned about this. Uh, and you mentioned that the drought came on kind of fast, but, you know, there are those people that will say, well, you know, we, had, we went from record dry to, like, 2017, the wettest year on record. And then we had... A couple of years after that, um, of uh, the, the years after that have been like not great. We've gotten precipitation, but it hasn't. You know, it we're not up at a hundred percent. I mean, I think one year it was fifty-seven percent. Um, another year, and I mean, and and I think sometimes you look at that, you say, well, that's okay. But then, you know, I would say to you, well, okay. Uh, your paycheck is only going to be 60% of what you usually get in a year. And if you, you know, that would be consequential, right? And uh, But I don't think that we tend to take those sorts of numbers particularly seriously as, you know, as regular people in the population because we have managers that sort of manage these things for us. But I do think going forward we need to be more conscious. Yeah, I think the paycheck analogy is a really good one. I also think that maybe the surprise factor that people are talking about on on the on the you know the pending drought right now, or not really pending, it's really a drought, but but the uh, fast approaching drought, I think that really maybe just as you say, people really haven't quite gotten the message yet, right? The, the, they're still instilled with the idea that, that we're not in a drought and really quite don't believe it yet, right, Chris? So man, maybe it's just that old saying, you know, we gotta tell people seven times before they before they get the message. Yes, well, do, do, do you believe the whole do you believe that all think, of them Go ahead, I'm Chris. Sorry. No, okay. I was just gonna say I also think we need to be realistic that uh there are people that are dealing with a lot of other things right now, especially like, you know, think of the pandemic. And if you're a family and you've got kids and you're trying to get them out to school with clean face mask in their hand and, and everything, you know, um, there's a lot of things competing for people's attention. And the drought yeah, is important, that, yes, but there are also these other things, too. So. That's that, that's that was kind of the question I was going to ask with all the things going on, you know, with the pandemic, with the critical race theories, with the you know uh, Afghanistan, all, all these things that are on people's mind, and you know, you, if they watch TV or read the newspapers, it goes back and forth of whatever side you're on, and and I think the last thing they want, and a lot of people more are staying at home, uh, so probably they're using their water more at home, obviously, uh, since we're not seeing great results uh, being being achieved here in California. I think a lot of that stuff weighs on people's mind, and water is, is dropping to the bottom of their list of what they really want to worry about. Yeah, well, uh, you know, and these other things, these other issues, they're, they're not small. <laughs> I mean, nope. this pandemic thing is, is kind of huge. And, it's nope. uh, you know, it's a, crowded, it's a crowded world that competes for your attention. But, 
we do need to be paying attention uh, to the water use. Um, uh, you know, this idea that we can just take it from the farmers, uh, you know, that, that just doesn't work. The farmers mm-hmm. didn't get any water this year either. So, you know, we all need to do our part. You know, I I actually, before I came on to the radio show tonight, I actually uh, was a speaker at an event for the U.S. Green Building Council of L.A. that did, uh, they had a, a two-hour event that was focused on water reuse and recycling. And, you know, we talked about uh, all sorts of issues, like uh, from the big, recycled water plants that are in operation in Orange County and what they're looking to build up here in L.A. to uh, building recycling, you know, the the high-rises that uh, recycle the water inside to use for non-potable uh, re- resources such as, you know, uh, toilet flushing, uh, land irrigation, uh, uh, you know, at, down to gray water systems. And uh, it, it was a really neat event because the council is really interested in uh, promoting action. And we're not just going to talk about it. We're just really going to go and do these things. And so, you know, there are, there are lots of really smart people out there really trying to figure out how we can all do better with you know, the resources that we have. Yeah, especially, you know, I, I, I agree. Tons, tons and tons of people working on this. Lots of resources, lots of energy, lots of time, lots of money um, are being spent on it. <clears throat> I just, I'm just not sure that, uh, that, uh, that the listening, you know, the public, the listening public sometimes immediately gets the message, Chris, if you, it, you know, if you know what I'm saying, right? I, I get it. There's so many things on their mind and all that stuff. Um, but it's still a critical issue that, that especially faces the state of California and much of the West, for that matter, especially when you look at the service area that the Colorado River Basin um, uh, serves. So uh, do, do we, you know, do we continue to look to the state of California and, in fact, other states in the West to, uh, to continue, you know, putting these commercials on where you see, you know, rows and rows and acres and acres of wilted plants, um, agriculture, uh, you know, stuff like that. I mean, those those sort of things. Whenever I see those commercials, Chris, I always wince a little bit, right? <laughs> um, and I know part of it is true, um, but but I don't. Sometimes the way that we convey that message is um, is a little bit scary. Your thoughts? Yeah, and I think people just, uh, they just get weary. You know, I mean, I i, I know myself even like, you know, I, I, I even roll my eyes at some of these stories that, you know, that go on and on and on um, in the media and really say nothing but seem to be regurgitating the same thing over and over again. And, you know, it's... Uh, it, it, people get weary, but uh, you know, I I just gotta say, you know, it it is difficult. But just because something's difficult doesn't mean it shouldn't be done. And you really have to get uh, the public involved and the water agencies 
and and really, you know, concerned citizens need to become involved. And the one thing that California has going for it is it does have a large number of concerned citizens about the environment and, you know, trying to live green and trying to do the right thing. And so you kind of, you know, we need to be mobilizing those people and as well as everybody. You know, we this idea, we do need to make conservation as a way of life. Uh, that was, you know, Governor Brown's piece of legislation. Uh, and it, it's a nice buzzword, a nice bumper sticker, but it's actually, you know, we, we really do need to be conservative with our water. I, I would also tell you we need to be conservative with our electrical use. Um, we really need to stop, you know, viewing resources as something you can use as much as you want of as long as you're willing to pay for it. Uh, I mean, that's sort of how well, we balance these things, but... Uh, but I mean, Chris, I, I, was, I, was, I, was in Beverly, I was in Beverly Hills. I went to a house that had seven swimming pools. Seven. And the the people from the water agency went there and kept writing up fines. And he says, I can afford this 20,000 square foot house. I want seven pools and I'll just pay whatever it is. And he does. Seven pools. Yeah. In the last drought, when it got so bad, people in Montecito, which is a very well-to-do suburb, you know, sort of around up in the hills above Santa Barbara-ish, Ventura County-ish. Um, and they weren't able to get water for their extensive landscape, so they paid water trucks to bring that water in. Now, that water came from somewhere. <laughs> Somebody, you know, might be needing that water, but somehow they were able to get it in to, you know, water their landscape. They were willing to pay for that so their grass could be green. Do you, you know, do you see that recycled water is going to start to raise raise in price? Well, recycled water, you know, while there's all sorts of great funding out there for there's federal programs and state programs, the bulk of of the recycled water uh, it is paid by the ratepayers. So you do have to be very open and transparent, and you have to do a lot of outreach because you need to get people involved. And um, people just really need to understand that the water just isn't going to be there as easily available as it has been. I think it's the, the remarkable utility industry people that work in national in natural resources have done a fantabulous job of delivering us water and power uh, to us whenever we want it you i mean how you know flip the switch you got electricity turn on the tap you got water we just can't imagine that we can't we wouldn't have access to these things 24 7 but there are countries in the world uh, that do, and you know the natural world. It's a, it's a finite thing. Uh, there are going to be resource constraints, and as the population of the world grows, you know we just cannot expect that we're going to have access to all the resources to do any 
want for all eternity. You know, we're going to have to start being more careful with what we consume, water, electricity, and otherwise. I agree. You know, Israel, uh, for example, people are paying the real value of of, of water in, in dollars to there. They get their their uh, daily per capita uses a whole lot less than the U.S. People got used to that, and you know it's like, you know, you go you go to the baseball game and you buy a bottle of water. It's like six seven dollars, and people gripe about that. But but in in countries like Australia and Israel and, and all through the Middle East and you know, a lot a lot of in Europe, uh, you know, people we've been lucky in the U.S. for the price that we pay for water. It's practically it, nothing when you look at everything been, else. We've been really lucky the price that we pay for water in California because we only yep. pay transportation costs. But even then, you know, our our water bills have not really uh, changed from Santa Clarita, at least the first month, you know, to up here in Chico. Up here in Chico, we get groundwater. In Santa Clarita, we yep. had half our water supply flung across the Tehachapi's. You know, in in the largest use of electricity in the state of California, and while the state water project does generate hydropower, not in drought years like this year, but in regular years to offset some of that, is still a tremendous amount of energy to get water into Southern California. Yet my bill in Southern California is, you know, about. Well, currently about the same as it is here in Chico, and that's—I mean—I don't think I—I I never really thought in Southern California I was paying the true cost of uh, water arriving at my doorstep. Right. In, well, Chris, in Reno, it's the same thing. You know, it's groundwater and and what comes down the river, and they have you know they have water bills in the hundreds. Uh, two hundred dollars, and people, you know, uh, don't have a lot of lawns up there. They choose not to. No, you're right. We're coming up against our uh, uh, commercial break, and Chris, we want to thank you very much for coming on today, as always. And for our listeners, if you want to get the latest California news and other other areas of the country, go to uh, www.mavensnotebook.com. Become a subscriber. Become a sponsor, and get your information on your PC or your laptop or your iPad every single day in the morning. That's what Chris, Chris, the Davy and I do turn on our computers first thing in the morning. We get your, all your information. So it's great. It's all stuff that's uh, behind the scenes and in front of the scenes. So it makes everybody a little bit more smarter about what's happening with water. So Chris, we, uh, we want to say thank you. Uh, next week, you know, we know we're going to be at the water smart uh, innovations in Vegas. Um, and, um, so hopefully maybe you can call in on that, but we're going to have some guests from up there. As well, we'll be broadcasting live uh, from from that event. So, Chris, thank you very much, and uh, we'll hopefully talk to you next week. All right. Good evening, everybody. See you, Chris. Take care. You too. This is 1050 AM KCAA Loma Linda and 106.5 FM Ukaipa. Are you presently part of the irrigation industry as a worker or business owner? Do you want to learn how you and your staff can boost your knowledge and productivity? 
then you should check out Irrigator Technical Training School. Irrigator Tech is the leading source of quality instruction serving all facets of the irrigation industry. Their courses provide a basic, easy to understand approach that raises the skill level, competency, and professionalism of landscape and irrigation personnel through practical education and services. Irrigator Tech combines classroom and real-life hands-on training, leading to a well-recognized certification that both customers and employers demand. Irrigator Tech specialized courses can help you quickly become a certified irrigation auditor or a certified installer, repair, maintenance, or backflow technician. Courses also include certificates in smart water application or becoming a certified tree worker. Most importantly, all certifications are state recognized and Irrigator Tech offers annual renewal classes to help keep your certification up to date. So whether you work in California, Washington, Oregon, Nevada, or Arizona, there's an Irrigator Tech class near you. For more information on how to jumpstart your career, call Irrigator Tech toll-free 866-614-1755 or visit them on the web at irrigatortech.com. That's toll-free 866-614-1755 and on the web at irrigatortech.com. Love you, love you not. They love you. Satisfying your customers, it's a full-time job. Want an easy way to make them happy? Try having your ornamentals delivered straight to the job site with Nursery Direct. Could save you and your clients a pretty peony. Think about it, instead of driving to the nearest nursery, picking up the order, and then driving to the job site, the crew's able to begin work right away. That cuts time and labor. Savings you can pass on to your customers and you can get your plants delivered direct even if you don't have a nursery branch in your area. Here's another quick tip. Keep a substitutions list on standby for every project so your team knows what to do in case a plant isn't in stock because there's nothing customers appreciate more than a project that finishes on time and on budget. They love you. They really love you. Aww. K C A A. Well, all right, everybody, welcome back to the second half of the Water Zone. We uh, just to be uh, clear here. We've got a couple of technical difficulties with. Um, with Rob Starr, who seems to have lost his connection. So um, we're without Rob at the moment, but I'm very happy to still be on the line here, thanks to uh, my good internet connection. Um, we have a great guest on the second half of the water zone here. Uh, I don't know the man personally, but I know that Rob Starr has been talking to him. His name is Fred Jones, and Fred is the water systems resource manager in the water department at Garden City, Kansas. Uh, there's been a couple of recognitions that he's got, and I know this has been one of Rob's guests as he's been uh, after for a while. So while we wait for Rob to get on, I'm going to pass the baton a bit to Fred and ask him to introduce himself. So first of all, uh, Fred, welcome to the Water Zone. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Can you hear me well? Yeah, you're uh, loud and all clear right. for us on the on this end, I'm, I'm hoping Rob can connect to us <laughs> real quick, Fred, because uh, this yeah. is happening a, a time. Uh, but hey, let's let's get started, and and uh, what will and I'm sure that Rob will call back in. But let's get started. And first of all, you can you can help us out by 
just giving us a little clue as to, you know, what uh, what your uh, position is there in Garden City, Kansas, and tell us a little bit about uh, yourself and just kind of tail on to that question with give us a little story about how you got into the water industry, you know, and what, what brought you. There's always a story, and it's usually a, a good story, about what brings yeah. people into our, into our industry. Well, thank you. Uh, again, my name's Fred Jones, and I work for a community in uh, southwest Kansas, the uh, city of Garden City, Kansas. Uh, we're a town of about 31,000 people. Uh, we're located at, uh, about 65 miles north of the Oklahoma border and about 65 miles east of the Colorado border. So uh, we probably have more in common climate-wise with New Mexico and uh, eastern Colorado than uh, what maybe uh, some people think of as Kansas. Uh, so we're semi-arid climate. Um, I operate the water utility and the wastewater utility, uh, and then I have some oversight in the stormwater utility as well for the city. Uh, and uh, we're a small utility, but uh, fairly large user of water. We produce about 2.5 billion gallons a year um, for our customers. And uh, we have a number of residential customers, but we also have some fairly significant uh, industrial customers as well in the city. Um, what? How I got? You, I, I was going to say, you want yep. the quick story on how I got into water? Uh, I, I actually started out. I, I've worked in local government my entire career. Um, I started out, uh, oddly enough, in law enforcement. Uh, but my college background was uh, in strategic planning. And so uh, through uh, positions more related to strategic planning, I got into city administration and didn't really know a lot about water at all. Uh, but the community I was managing uh, ran into a pretty significant uh, issue with groundwater uranium. And so in the course of uh, about six years working on a, on a project in a small community in western Kansas, um, I, I educated myself on water and really found I generally find utilities are the most enjoyable thing about local government. And so uh, I was happy to continue my career with Garden City. Well, I, I bet that was, a, that was a welcome revelation to you, Fred. I don't know if it was or not. <laughs> Um, having been in the, in this industry uh, my entire life and and taking a focus on on conservation as well, but but before I get into other questions, there's there's a there's a rumor out there, and just reading some of the background information that uh, you were a assistant police chief at one time. Is is that a true story, or am I dreaming? Yeah, that that's correct. That's you know, um, as as a youngster, uh, I, I was in law enforcement for a few years, so. Um, I've always enjoyed, um, you know, I think there's a lot of uh, service aspects uh, that kind of carry over into utilities. Um, I, uh, I do, I really enjoy uh, my utility career, though, and, and helping people with their, with their water and wastewater. Are, are, you, are you, in any particular uh, uh, fashion, was that, uh, was that uh, prior career also in Garden City, Kansas? Uh, no, in, but in western Kansas, in in northwest okay. Kansas. So, yeah, yeah, I've I've uh, I've been in the western half of the state my my whole life. It seems like. 
Well, I got to tell you, we think, you know, I think my wife and I were talking about uh, the guests tonight uh, being in Kansas. And you're right about your assessment that people don't think, a lot of people don't think of Kansas as a, as a uh, arid or, quote, semi-arid um, state. Uh, but it is indeed, I guess. So let me ask you, when you told me about, uh, you know, your, your producing the water you produce, what, what's the source of the water there? Is it, um, is it river? Is it groundwater? Is it watershed? Precip? Uh, like virtually uh, every community uh, in the western half of Kansas, uh, we rely on on uh, groundwater. Uh, so our water source is the uh, Ogallala High Plains Aquifer, and uh, then we also uh, get some of our water from the Dakota Aquifer, which is a deep wa- uh, aquifer uh, that's uh, available in our area as well. All right. About how many about how many customers? How many meters do you service? If you if you will, kind of a question we've asked a lot yep. of folks. Sure, we have we have around nine thousand meters uh, that we that we service in the community. Uh, so, like I said, a smaller utility uh, compared to maybe what you'd see in in uh, some areas. Um, and we we're a full uh, automated metering infrastructure community as well. So uh, we're fortunate to have a, a very robust metering system for our customers. How old is that metering system, Fred? If you don't mind me, is it is it a fairly uh, new system? It was it was the subject of ours on the show. Yeah, yeah. We we have um, we've had that system in place uh, for around ten years. We're, we're coming up on our tenth anniversary of that system, uh, and so it's a great system. Um, we utilize uh, Census as our metering provider. And um, we also have an electric utility, a municipal electric utility. So they also are are um, have a fully automated metering infrastructure as well. All right. Uh, so let's let's get back into kind of the subject matter here, and that's uh, conservation, and start talking about oh. uh, Garden City, particularly, and what and what it yeah. does. We we know that on this show we talk uh, we we have many subject areas, but one of them is is water education as being a very critical topic for this for the general public and probably if you heard a little bit of the last few minutes of our previous guest Chris Austin from um, from California Water News you probably heard some of the topics we were talking about on on conservation so um, you know starting with Garden City what kind of what sort of programs um, activities that sort of uh, that sort of thing did your organization do for uh, for Garden City? Well, um, as a um, utility, we we one of the things we've been really involved with is sharing information with our customers. So um, our customers have access to a customer portal where they can monitor their water usage. They can actually set uh, alarms if their usage goes uh, above a trigger point. They can be notified about. Uh, leaks or problems with their sprinkler system or, you know, a toilet that's uh, not behaving. Uh, And then we also have, in terms of education, have been, we developed a customer water use report. And basically what we're doing with that data is we're taking our our metering data, which we have all kinds of data available uh, regarding customer usage. And then we 
we've we've overlaid that data set with our geographic information system data set. So we've got a we've got a geographic area where we have subdivisions, neighborhoods uh, defined. And what we're what we're doing is we're taking water user data from these defined neighborhoods and uh, giving customers information about how much water they use in comparison to their neighborhood. Uh, so we started this report a few years ago, and we give we, we it started out on a neighborhood level, and uh, they get a report. It is a graphical report. It's not a, a spreadsheet or anything like that. It's a graphical report that shows um, visually what their water use looks like and how that compares to their neighbor. And then we also monetize that, so we can say, hey, uh, John, if you use 25% more water than the average household in your neighborhood, that is going to cost you an additional $250 a year or whatever that number is. Um, right. We can tell them, you know, because percentages mean certain things to people, uh, and um, but generally dollars mean the same thing to everyone. <laughs> so... Yeah. Um, and, and so we have these discussions about, and, and we give them a report, you know, the report, if they uh, have been using more than the average, they get this red box and, and this arrow that kind of points up. And if it's the opposite, they get, they get a uh, kind of a green box that shows, you know, they're, they're um, using uh, less than their neighbors. And then we tell them how much they've saved. Um, a lot of this we're using is to try to give them some data to say, you know, you could invest in some things to reduce your water usage. So in our communities in western Kansas, um, the low-hanging fruit, in my opinion, uh, for water conservation is getting a handle on outdoor watering. Uh, we're in arid climate, but people like to have grass. Um, we're trying to teach them about, you know, hey, you could have less grass by, you know, doing some some uh, landscape management techniques, increasing the size of your mulch bed, tree ring, you know, things like that that could um, reduce your actual turf area. And then we're also pretty heavily promoting uh, utilizing smart technology for irrigation systems. So um, one thing we offer and we educate people on in these reports is that our community offers a rebate uh, for a WaterSense certified irrigation controller. Uh, in most cases, the rebate will, will pretty much pay for the controller um, unless, you, unless you're getting a, you know, a, a, one with a large number of stations. But the average controller, um, we actually cover that cost as part of our rebate program. And now what we're doing is taking the same report and we're we're telling people, you know, we're, we've gotten to the point where we break down water usage to the square foot, and then we can compare the entire community, you know, to say, you know, in, in your neighborhood, maybe your lots are larger or smaller than the average lot in town, but per square foot, this is how much water you're applying. Um, and then we're tying that back into saying, you know, as we're studying different technologies like irrigation controllers, we're tracking that information and saying, sure. hey, we're finding that if you use this irrigation controller, we think you can reduce X number of gallons per square foot or save X number of dollars. So 
it's all about measuring. If we don't measure what we're doing, um, there's no you can't improve what you don't measure. That's the that's the long yeah. and short of it. Yeah, or manage and, what you don't measure either, right? What's yeah, what, uh, and measured is managed. Yeah, exactly. And what we have found is a lot of people, you know, prior to this program, they get a water bill, they get a utility bill, and they make their decisions based off of how much that bill is. So if the bill is more than they want it to be, um, they may make some adjustments to lower that bill. Um, we want them to have more information than that. So uh, just because you're financially able to cover that bill doesn't necessarily mean that your water stewardship is where it needs to be. Uh, right. So we're, we're just trying to continue to provide more information. Like I said, most people, if you ask them how much water they used last month, um, the average customer, and I would say this is in a number of areas in our country, not just in Kansas, they probably couldn't give you that answer. Uh, they could tell you the bill was $75 or $175, but they wouldn't be able to tell you how many gallons they consumed. So we've got to do yeah. a better job educating customers. Yeah. I agree with you, and I'm, I'm happy to say also uh, that Rob Starr is back with us. However, I'm going to prompt him to take himself off of mute because I can see his lips moving, but nothing's, uh, <laughs> nothing's coming out. But he's, uh, he's found his way back onto us, I think, and he's just trying to get connected here. You know, I'll just say Rob and I have been big proponents all along for more information. We talked to a lot of water agencies, especially locally here in Southern California and California where we work. Um, and, and we've always been a big proponent of, of more information and education to uh, to the customer base. So, Rob, are you back with us, bud? I am. Sorry that we had a connection problem that got me dumped and I couldn't get back on. I kept saying, retry, 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 check your Internet. Anyway, Fred, uh, congratulations on you guys receiving the Outstanding Public Engagement Award from the IA. Uh, uh, you guys do great work. I've been... I had to dial in on the phone, and, and, and anyway, I'm on, so I'm, I'm with you now. Um, so on the, on the uh, education programs that you do, do you get into doing audits, uh, provide them for the customer? Because even if they put a smart, we all know, even if they put a smart controller on, if, the, if they have bad uh, irrigation lateral lines or, or nozzles yeah. or leaks or things like that, and is that something that you you guys can provide to them, or do you provide that to them? We are trying to um, do some of this analysis of water use remotely. One of the issues we run into, and I'm sure other utilities do, but um, just the manpower to be able to get out and do those uh, on-site audits uh, is probably something that, as we analyze um, some of these, getting more into monitoring irrigation, um, I think that's something we'll get into. Right now, what we're doing is uh, looking at the customers that we know have uh, updated controllers and trying to see, um, you know, what's happening. We're finding that um, we're, we're like a year into a controller program. Uh, and the pandemic didn't make education very easy. Uh, so mm. doing on-site uh, visits and things like that were out, were kind of off the table last year. What we're doing now is is looking at, um, at, at that information and trying to figure out 
what customers were able to take advantage of, you know, found savings in it, and then what customers didn't. And then we, we've got to follow up with both the folks that saved water to let them know that uh, keep on doing what you're doing, uh, but we also need to talk to those customers that didn't see the savings that we expected. Do you provide um, the, uh, automated? Do you provide automated metering at each of the, the, yeah. the homes? Okay. Yeah, we do. I was I was uh, explaining earlier. We do have a full AMI system, and and we also have a customer uh, a customer portal system as well. Oh, so customers can actually get on and look at both their water and electric uh, usage, uh, essentially down to the hour. Um, and that's been a really big tool for us. We do a lot of leak detection uh, mm-hmm. using hourly data, and uh, we send our staff out. Uh, we develop a check leak list uh, every day and uh, send staff out to uh, follow up on, on our leaks. Um, and that hourly data, uh, I think that's the best thing that's ever happened with with metering is to be able to look hour by hour and, uh, A, find your leaks. But we also use that a lot to talk to our customers that are calling in questions about their bills. But, you know, to say, hey, you know, we we see that um, we're going to make an assumption that you're irrigating because, you know, every third day uh, you're using, you know, we find about a thousand gallons per hour on, a, on an average sprinkler system, uh, and so we can tell a person if they're irrigating twice a week or if they've made a programming error and they're irrigating more than that, and uh, and then we steer them away uh, from that error and try and try and help them get that corrected so they can save money uh, and we can save our resource. So you know it's a win-win uh, yep. for everyone. Are other you, agencies you, in the city, like the Parks and Rec, for example, Fred, are they engaged in uh, in uh, water conservation yeah. as well? Yeah, uh, our Parks Department has adopted a um, gosh, and I just blanked out on the controllers that they use, but they have kind of a networked controller system that they're implementing, uh, adding more parks to it every year. Um, and they actually have uh, flow sensors, things like that, in their system so they can detect broken heads, broken lines, things like that. Pretty advanced uh, stuff for our area. Uh, you know, frankly, we don't see the, the ebbs and flows in water availability like some, like your area is, you know, California, the West Coast, uh, this year with, with reduced amounts of surface water available. But uh, ours is more of a slow motion uh, type issue with water conservation. And, um, you know, that's good in terms of uh, not creating any shock to the system, you know, but it's bad in terms of, you know, it's kind of like the frog boiling. You know, if we don't get a handle handle on this, we're going to find ourselves in an undesirable position, so. We've been trying to implement some stuff and get, you know, our community's uh, house in order in terms of how we utilize non-revenue water. So, so Fred, if, if putting, putting on your uh, crystal ball brain, how do you see the foresee the future of water, both both in your your area and 
the rest of the world? What, what, what do you see is going to happen down the road or think is going to happen down the road with water? Well, uh, you know, availability is going to become a huge issue. Uh, from my standpoint, um, uh, I think just maintaining water quality, um, keeping up with current water quality standards, and then just coping with uh, some of the future uh, water quality issues that are on the horizon uh, is going to be a big challenge for municipalities. And Water quality, you know, it, you can you can generally uh, treat water uh, and get it to really good drinking water standard. It can be done. The issue is the energy it takes, capital cost it takes to do these things. And then the other thing that needs to be remembered, especially in western Kansas, uh, is what do we do after treatment? Anytime we're treating water, there's going to be a waste that comes out of that process. And in western Kansas, with no surface water, a lot of that treatment uh, is going, that effluent coming out of the treatment process is going into deep injection wells, and that water is being completely removed from the environment. And so that's a big concern for us in western Kansas, is uh, addressing quality issues and keeping an eye on making sure that it's done in ways where we're, we're being as conservative with our water as we can be. Well, we're, we're up against our uh, NBC News Hour, but Fred, uh, we hope to see you. In fact, we, we will find you at the uh, Smart Innovation Show. We'll be there as well. And I want to, congr- again, congratulate you and your team for doing a, a super job. And uh, thanks for coming on, and hopefully we get to talk a little bit more at the, uh, at the show next week. Anytime. We appreciate you reaching out to us, and have a great evening. Great. You too. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening in today. And uh, we'll be back next week broadcasting live from the Smart Innovation Show in Las Vegas. And uh, remember the most important thing that Chris and I tell everybody every single week. And, well, two things. One is a new one. Uh, You can't have green unless you have blue. And the second one is, Chris? Keep our planet blue. That's right. Everybody have a good afternoon, good evening, and we'll talk to you next week. KCAA Loma Linda, 1050 AM, 106.5 FM, and now 102.3 FM.